Open your Bibles with me to Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. And Lord, um, I'm thankful that you give us an understanding of what these words mean and, and where this comes from. Lord, we're so thankful. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, keep your place here and go with me to Romans 3.10. We're going to just flip right back to Galatians. But Romans 3, verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Verse 11, there is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is, what's it say? None that doeth good, no, not one. And then in Galatians 6.10, go back. Look at what it says in Galatians 6.10. As we have their opportunity, let us do good. The Bible says, there's none that doeth good. So that is an impossible request. Men, it's like your wife when she asks you to understand her. (laughs) This is an impossible request. The Bible tells us to do good, and then it says there's none that doeth good. So how do we reconcile that? Well, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness. What's it say? Goodness, faith. Because the goodness that we are able to do is simply the work of the Holy Spirit in us. We cannot do good apart from the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. That resurrection power, that new creature that we looked at in Galatians 6. That's the only way that we can do good. Amen? That's it. That's all that we can do. Now, I want us to look at a couple of things. That on this idea of goodness, goodness, it tells us to do good. Well, goodness is a Christ-like characteristic. Goodness is a Christ-like characteristic. Go to Acts 11. Or Acts 10. Go to Acts 11 in a second. But Acts 10. Look at Acts 10 with me. Look at verse 37. That word, I say, ye know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. Now look at what it says. Verse 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about, what's it say? Doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. He is, Jesus Christ could do good. But notice how, now now Jesus Christ being God was good just because he's God. We're going to see that in a second. But here in the text, notice how he did that with the anointing of the Holy Ghost. With the anointing of the Holy Ghost. You see it saying it right in the context? So for us to be Christ-like takes the Holy Spirit of God. Go back with me to Matthew chapter 19. Where did Jesus Christ's goodness come from? Matthew chapter 19. 
verse 16. And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one. That is God. How about that? Where did Jesus Christ's goodness come from? From the fact that He is God. Amen? We don't have any goodness. There is none good but God. That's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible says. So if anyone has any goodness at all, that goodness comes from God. I'll give you an example of that. Look at Matthew chapter 25. Or make that Luke. Luke chapter 23. Luke 23. And look at verse 50. And behold, there was a man named Joseph, a counselor. What's it say here? And he was a good man and just. The same had not consented to the counsel and deed of them. He was of Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who also himself waited for the kingdom of God. What happened? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ had changed him. He was a follower of Jesus Christ. His goodness came from God. Any goodness before Pentecost, any goodness after Pentecost, it all comes from God. That's the only place it can come from. That's the only place it can come from. Look at Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, look at verse 24. Um, You know what, look at verse 22. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch, who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad, and exhorted them all that they, with purpose of heart, or, or that with purpose of heart, they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man. Isn't it interesting what follows? And what's it say? And full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. And much people was added unto the Lord. Then what's the next thing he does? He seeks for Saul. He goes after Paul. So there are a couple of characteristics that we've learned already. First of all, none of us are good. Amen? We're not good people. There's not goodness in us of ourselves. So we're not good. But God is good. Jesus Christ is good. And the fruit of the Holy Spirit, a part of that fruit, is goodness. So we do gain the ability to do good when we get saved. When the Holy Spirit of God dwells in us, the Holy Spirit of God produces that goodness in us. Before the Holy Spirit came, we see that Joseph of Arimathea was good. And what did that cause him to do? It caused him to take a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. He took a stand. He didn't consent to the decrees to crucify Jesus. He didn't consent to that. And then after the crucifixion, he was willing to go and get the body of his Savior, Jesus Christ. How about this? How about his tomb? His tomb was where Jesus Christ was laid. It was at his property... His own place where the greatest feat in the history of the world took place. The the turning point, the watershed in the history of the world. Why? Because His goodness caused Him to do something. 
The goodness that came from God caused him to do something for the Lord. How about Barnabas? His goodness caused him to go and seek after the Apostle Paul, the one that God would use to write the majority of the New Testament. There's not a person in this room who wasn't saved through the writing of the Apostle Paul. Who did God use to do that? A good man. A good man. Goodness produces something. Goodness does something in us. Look at Romans chapter 5. I want you to see something interesting. Romans chapter 5. Look at verse 6. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. Do you know that goodness in a person will cause others to be willing to even sacrifice their lives? See, sometimes we think that we don't have an influence. Sometimes we think we don't have an influence. See, there are a lot of people that think Oprah Winfrey is good. And so they take her recommendations. If Oprah says that a book is good, it's an instant bestseller. Because people perceive her as being good. President Obama won the election because people perceived him as being able to understand them better than Mitt Romney. It's the main reason that he won, according to the exit polls. See, we have to understand that the way... Now, of course, that's a completely false thing. Amen? It's amazing when you ask stupid people why they do stupid things, they give you stupid answers, which is not good. Um, but it is in, it, it's interesting, if we will behave with the goodness that Christ gives us, we can have a genuine influence in the world. But Christ's goodness is completely different than ours. Look at, what, look at the next verse. But God commendeth His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, Christ was willing to die for sinners, knowing full well that they're sinners. His goodness is different than our goodness. So now, what I want us to do, I, the book of Titus says so much about being good. What I want us to do now is just go and read some verses in the book of Titus, and try and get an understanding of what God wants us to do. So Titus, chapter 1. We were here briefly this morning. Titus, chapter 1. So remember what's going on. Verse 4. To Titus, mine own son after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city, as I had appointed thee. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. For a bishop must be blameless, as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of, what's it say? Good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. But look at that verse 8. 
A lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, and temperate. So a lover of good men. Now, we said this morning in my Sunday school class, this Galatians 6.10, James Knox preached a sermon on that called favoritism. Favoritism. Uh, Remember what it says? As we have opportunity, do good unto all men, especially those who are of the household of faith. We're supposed to show favoritism in our goodness toward those who are of the household of faith. That's the command of God. Is that right? Couldn't be any clearer. That's exactly right. Now, we are supposed to have love for every man and try and reach them for the gospel, but the pastor is to be drawn to good men. To be good men. How many of you have heard me say something like this? I prayed for that man. I prayed for those men to be in our church. Amen? We, we prayed for that. Why? I'm a lover of good men. We need good men to accomplish the work of God in the local New Testament church. That goodness only comes as God changes them. That's it. So why would a, why would a pastor be a lover of good men? We're supposed to have, be a lover of hospitality. We're supposed to love everyone, but especially but especially of good men. Why? Because the work of God can't be done without relationships in the New Testament church as those men go out and accomplish things for God. Can't be done. Amen? So this we're, we're trying to understand what it means to do good. We're learning, first of all, no one can do good without God. Is that right? No one can do good without God. And the pastor is supposed to be a lover of men who are good. They've been changed by God and they are actively uh, committed, actively involved in doing the work of the Lord. That's just, that's just all there is to it. That's, that's God's plan. Uh, now, we don't have a lot of gossiping and murmuring at Grace Baptist. Um, and I'm thankful for that. Uh, it's, just, it's, it's just really a blessing. I've been in other churches where I've heard people say things like, um, he spends too much time, pastor spends too much time with certain individuals in the church. People make complaints about things like that. And what, what's interesting, according to this text, the guy that's complaining about that, if he was a good man, the pastor would probably be spending time with him too. Amen? How many of you work with people that you would say, these are not good people? You've been around somebody like that? Then you come to church and Justin, I'm a, can I tell on you? Can I tell what you told me yesterday? It, it, he went to a wedding and was with, he and Amanda went to a wedding with some friends that, they, that they've been around for, that they were in school with. And he couldn't believe their behavior. He and Amanda, they couldn't believe their behavior. And he said, you know, several years ago, it didn't bother us that much. But now he's around, he and Amanda, now they're around you guys. And it's different. It's just different to have godly friends. What that does in your life. Being surrounded by good people changes you. Young people, surrounding yourself with good people. Surrounding yourself with good people. You know, I know that a lot of you young people, you seek out Christian friends at school. It's the right thing to do. That's what you've done. You're, you're trying to find good people to be friends with. How many of you have met people at school that would probably not be the best people to hang around with? You know some people like that? You can still be good to them. You can still try and lead them to Jesus Christ. But those aren't the people that you should be with all the time. Have your parents ever said, you know what? It's probably best if you don't hang out with that kid. Usually it's more like this. 
I don't ever want to see you with that kid again. That's the way it was at my house. It was a little different uh, response. But it, it, it is so important that goodness is important. And we see that in this text. Why? Well, let's read on. Here's, here's why it's important for the pastor to be a lover of good men. Because there are other kinds of men in the world. Look at what it says. Verse, so at the end of verse 9... It says, uh, let's just read verse 9, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught. And I want you to know something. Holding fast to the word of God, keeping the word of God, being faithful to it, that's the prerequisite to any blessing from God. Being obedient to the word of God, believing it just as it's been presented to you. That's it. So it says, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Why? Look at verse 10. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision. So here we have those again in the church. These were Judaizers who were vain talkers, unruly. They wouldn't get with the program, right? Now look at what it says. Whose mouths must be encouraged. No. Whose mouths must be stopped. You know, it's interesting the the Reverend Alden, you know, Little House on the Prairie. Um, what was that movie? Man, I hated it. It was uh, Pollyanna. Anybody ever see that movie, Pollyanna? Carl Malden's the preacher, and all of a sudden, he used to be hellfire and brimstone. Now he's just going to talk about love. That's love. Well, I don't know how you can lovingly stop the mouths of the gainsayers. You know how you stop those mouths? You know what? You're going to need to be quiet. You're not allowed to say anything else at Grace Baptist Church. Either you're either going to be quiet or you're going to go out the door. Do you see why it takes a special kind of man to be a pastor of a New Testament church? And that's not just in the Laodicean age. That's the way it's always been. It's the way it's always been. Look at, keep your place in Titus here. Go to Revelation. I'll show you something. Revelation chapter 2. Look at verse 2. 18, and unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God. Then look at verse 19, I know thy works and charity and service and faith and thy patience and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. Verse 20, Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou, uh, because thou sufferest, now that's, that's allowing, because thou sufferest that woman, Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants, to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. It's so interesting. What needed to happen at Thyatira? Preacher needed to say, you need to shut your mouth. Your mouth, Jezebel, that woman, Jezebel, your mouth has to be stopped. Amen? What is that? That's good. That's what a good man does. Man or woman, man false teacher, mouth has to be stopped. Female false teacher, mouth must be stopped. Now, can we go out and stop Joel Osteen from talking? No, no, but he's not going to talk here. All right, now, look at uh, 
back to Titus chapter 1, verse 11. Whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses. So we're at Titus 1.11. Whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. When I was in Bible college, we lived near uh, Crete, Illinois. And so I went to Bible college. I went to school with a girl named Shelley who was from Crete. And so I, I, I told her I found a verse in the Bible about her. And so I showed her this verse. She didn't like that too much. Um, verse 13. This witness is true, wherefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. You know what's interesting? You know, when we are rebuking false teachers in the church, it's not to hurt them. It's to correct them. But, you know, there are people that are teaching false things not because they intend to be evil. They're just wrong. You're just wrong. They're just wrong. I, I, we had a guy that was trying to teach some false things here, and I, I sat down with him and I said, you know this is heresy. If you continue to teach this, you're, you will be called a heretic. Look at Titus chapter 2, or Titus chapter 3. Look at verse 10. A man that is an heretic, after the first and second admonition, reject. So someone that's teaching heresy, we're, we're to admonish them. That's the first way to handle it. And I said, what you're teaching on this is heresy. And if you continue it, you'll be a heretic. And he said, well, you're a heretic. And I said, well... I may be, but you're going to have to show me from the Scriptures my heresy. I'm showing you from the Scriptures that what you're teaching is not right. And I tried to win them back, but couldn't do it. And they're gone. Couldn't do it. Now, look at what it says. Verse 13, again, This witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. Unto the pure, all things are pure. But unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God. But in works they deny Him, being abominable and disobedient unto every, what? Good work. Reprobate. What is reprobate? Reprobate is a mind that's been deformed by sin. A mind that's been deformed by sin. What's wrong with fill in the blank? Um, they, they, they just had a court case in San Francisco about whether or not people should be allowed to walk around naked. That's unbelievable. That is unbelievable. Why is that even a discussion? Because they're reprobate. They're reprobate. You know it's impossible to get lost in San Francisco? There's AIDS on every corner. It's true. Um, come on, that's a good joke right there. All right, now. Our, the, it, it's interesting that Titus chapter 1 gives us a contrast of goodness. Lover of good men. And then you have other men that are that they are against every good work. 
They, they hate every good work. That's the contrast. So when it talks about do good unto all men, why? Why? Because the world is full of people that want to do evil. Who's going to do good? Only those that are filled with the Holy Spirit. That's it. We've got to have Spirit-filled people doing good in the New Testament church. Well, Titus is full of it. Look at chapter 3. Look at chapter 2. Look at chapter 2. But speak thou things which become sound doctrine. That's chapter 2, verse 1. That the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober. So what are good things? See, teachers of good things, what are the good things that they're going to teach? How does a good woman behave? That they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children. Now, isn't it interesting? Who would ever think that you'd have to teach a woman to love her husband and to love her children? Would a woman who loves her children kill them? No. No. How does the Bible describe someone that won't chasten their children? They hate them. Right? If you won't spank your kids, you hate them. You hate them. It's up to the older women to teach the younger women. If you love that child, you'll jerk a knot in their tail. Amen? But now... If one of the older ladies said something to some of you younger ladies about your unruly child, you, I can't believe she said that to me. Do you know why you feel that way? Because you're not good. And you're raising children that are not good. You ladies who won't do that, you know what your problem is? You're not good. Because you're thinking more about other things than what the Holy Spirit wants you to do. This is what the Bible tells you to do. Amen? Is what it says to do. Then, look, they're, they're supposed to love their wives or love their husbands. <laughs> it's a different message. <laughs> to love their children. All right. Now, that idea of loving their husbands, you know, we don't have it here. Um, we, we have had it. But we don't have it now. Uh, I've, have you ever been around a lady that talks about her husband as if he's the biggest idiot in the world? What would have to happen? Well, we need we need an older, stronger lady to teach that younger lady that she needs to love her husband, and that is not the way that she's to talk, right? And then men, this this text isn't dealing with it, but I got to say, some of these men, the way they talk about their wives, it's like they hate them, right? We, we've heard this. That's not the way that good believers are to behave. Then look at what else. Here, here's what a good lady is. A good lady loves. She's she's Sober, we're in verse 4. She loves her husband. She loves her children. A good woman is discreet. What does that mean? She keeps her mouth shut about things that she knows about someone else. Discreet. Discreet. Ladies, are you trustworthy? Are you trustworthy? Then, here's, here's another aspect of a good lady. Chase. Chaste, that means pure. That means that what you watch on television, what you read, 
Um, how you speak, how you dress, how you present yourself, how you behave around other men. Chaste. Very important. Very important. That's what a good woman is. And it says this, that they need to be taught that. How about this? Keepers at home. Keepers at home. Oh, I could never stay at home. Oh, I, I could never do that. Now, look, uh, I, I don't, you, you know, you all know that I don't think there's a thing in the world wrong with a woman having a job. I don't. But only if it doesn't keep her from being a good keeper at home. Amen? It's your responsibility to care for the house. It's your responsibility to do that. Um, then, uh, how about this? To be discreet, to be good. Isn't that interesting? To be good. Look at this. There's a tough one. Obedient to their own husbands. Obedient to their own husbands. That the word of God be not what? Oh, man. Do you understand when you are not good as a believer, as a lady in a New Testament church, when you are not these things, you blaspheme the word of God. You blaspheme the word of God. That's sobering, isn't it, ladies? Isn't this a sobering passage? Well, God's so good, He shows us these things. Now, young men, you're not left out of this. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity. Those are interesting things, aren't they? You young men, you young men, you're supposed to be doing good works. You are to be doing good works. That's what the Bible says. And you're not only are you to be doing good works, you're to be a pattern of good works. Other people are supposed to be able to look at your life and live like you. That's the idea. That's what it says. Showing thyself a pattern of good works. In doctrine, what do you know about doctrine? Do you speak doctrine? Do you talk to your friends about doctrine? Is this what you do? This is what a good young man does. How about this? Showing uncorruptness. 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 And I'm thankful for you young men who take a stand at school. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful that you guys do that. But that temptation is always going to be there. It's always going to be there. Uncorruptness. Gravity. What is gravity? It's that stuff that keeps you from floating away. Right? So what is this talking about? Your life is heavy. Your life has weight. Your life has purpose. You're not just flitting through life with no consequences. Then, look at what it says. Sincerity. Sincerity. Um, are, do, do people believe you? Is your life designed around doing right? Then, sound speech that cannot be condemned. That he that is of the contrary part, may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. See, people can say evil things of you, but if you're living a holy life, nobody will believe it. And those who do believe it, they, they don't matter. Somebody with sense will not believe it. Amen? Amen. This is what goodness is. This is what goodness is. Exhort servants to be obedient to their own masters. Look at, look at what it says. Verse 14, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Chapter 3, 
Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work. Uh, here's the idea. This is for everybody now. This is for everybody. When there's, when there's work to be done, when there's work to be done, are you ready? Are you ready? Have you ordered your life so that you're ready to do good work in the New Testament church? It's a good question, isn't it? It's a good question. Then look at what it says. To speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that, being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, And these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain what? Good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. But avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. A man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition reject, knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth, being condemned of himself. When I shall send Artemis unto thee, or Tychicus, be diligent to come unto me, to, to Nicopolis, for I have determined there to winter. Bring Zenus, the lawyer, and Apollos on their journey diligently, that nothing be wanting unto them. And let ours also learn to maintain good works for necessary uses, that they be not unfruitful. All that are with me salute thee. Greet them that love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. Do you think that uh, the Apostle Paul for Titus was concerned about goodness? I think so. And we're learning what goodness is. Uh, here in chapter 3, just briefly, verses 1 through 7, it gives us this good works, it gives us why we should do it. Because of the love of God, because of the mercy of God, because of the kindness of God, because of the regeneration of God, because of all that in our lives. Let's just do good. Amen? Let's just do good. Let's have the Holy Spirit in us help us to do good to each other. This goodness, it's not some nebulous uh, spirituality that we determine in our own minds. We're to be like Christ and we're to follow these simple recommendations that are given in Scripture about what it means to be good. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Lord, for your word.